Welcome to Darkly Lit, where we try to understand why you don't stay in the country after Labor Day. And not Memorial Day, which I, one of your co-hosts, Kaylee King, accidentally stated in our previous episode because, like the Allistons, I didn't plan ahead. I am joined by my other two wonderful co-hosts, Sade. Hello! I... I, I'm, I, I don't, I got nothing, sorry. <laughs> but I'm here! I'm ready for this. I swear. Yeah! And that's all we ask of you. <laughs> And David. A garbage man was only necessary for improvident city folk. Country people had no garbage. <laughs> no, they compost. They're smart and they compost. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Absolutely. And they reuse their stuff. They like they're still using like they're all the iron cookware that they acquired. Not they're not getting like TV dinners or any shit like that. So we just finished reading The Summer People by Shirley Jackson. Uh, it's a short story, and I am due to give a short description, so here we go. We follow the lives of the Allisons, uh, specifically Robert and Janet, an older couple who spend their summers in their little cottage in the country, and then right after Labor Day, they head back home to New York City. Since their uh, kids are no longer living with them, they're out of the house, they are raising their own families, they decide, you know, we have n no reason to go back to the city so quick. Why don't we stay a month on after Labor Day? They tell m multiple people this, uh, the grocer, Mr. Babcock, as well as uh, the Walpole brothers, um, etc. And every single one of them tells them no one has ever stayed after Labor Day. Nobody does that. And they're like, well, we, uh, we might as well try it. Why not? But then their decision to stay after Labor Day leads to some effects. For example, they ask uh, Mr. Babcock why they don't get their groceries or why it's not being delivered. They, and Mr. Babcock says, well, my son delivers them and he's in school right now. There's no one to deliver them. And they ask, well, why can't you just deliver them? And he's like, I, I just don't. That's just not how it goes. Basically, a lot of little things happen leading to them, like, not having enough food or gas, etc. And there's a storm coming. And one of the weird things that happens is Mr. Allison's car breaks down, so they can't drive out. And they start to become more paranoid when they receive a letter from their son, and they state that this does not sound like it's from him. And then they start to think to themselves, maybe this, it was all planned out. Maybe our car was sabotaged as well. Their phone doesn't work. Maybe the phone lines were cut. And also Mr. Allison claims that he saw one of the families who supposedly left. Their house still has lights on. So it ends with them in the dark in their cottage during the storm, uncertain of what's about to happen. <laughs> There's a lot more. It's hard because this is a it's a simple story, but a lot of it is in the details rather than the actual story itself. It's one of those like uncomfortably ambiguous stories, but where the ambiguity is intentional and not because of poor writing. Like you're left with a lot of questions, but also a feeling of like, 
are you as paranoid as they are? Is everything actually, is anything actually happening? Or if you know Shirley Jackson, you know to read into some of this stuff, but are you reading too much into it? Are they reading too much into it? Or are they not reading enough into it? So for those who don't remember, Shirley Jackson was the writer of a book we actually discussed uh, very early on in the beginning of this podcast uh, called The Haunting of Hill House, which we absolutely adored. Still one of my all-time favorite novels in general. Yeah. It's hard for me to compare The Summer People to The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, it's a different, different sort of setup completely. Separating The Haunting of Hill House from this short story, what do we think of this short story in itself. Going through it first, I was a little like, where's where's the rest of the story? What was this? Maybe because coming, I, I still, I was thinking of Hill House. Um, so maybe I was anticipating something a bit more. And then like, it, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. On the second reading, though, I, I think I took more from it. I'm definitely not comparable to Hill House. But I think it definitely had something, uh, like a strong message behind it that I'm, I'm kind of eager to talk about, but also like don't want to talk about because it's like shit that I don't like to think about. Um, <laughs> I liked it, but I I would have been okay without reading this. Same. I, I'm with you. I had the same thought too. I read through it and I'm like, that's it? I, I don't get it. Where's the horror? I, what's the big deal? And then I reread it and then I realized, oh, it's in the details. I, I, I mean, it was unsettling. There was something unsettling about it, but I couldn't explain it. But then when I when I picked up the more of the details and reread, I was like, oh, wait, hmm. There's more to this than meets the eye. But yeah, this is definitely a short story you need to read twice. I have read another Shirley Jackson short story, the other well-known one, which is The Lottery. Oh, yeah, I've read that too. Mm-hmm. So this is like my third foray really into uh, her work. And so I, I wasn't surprised that it was le- with the way that the prose worked and the way that the story was told that it ended the way it did. I almost was kind of expecting it. Still, I was waiting for something to happen. And when it, when it ended with them kind of also being the ones waiting, the Allisons, I thought, oh, oh, that's actually kind of cool. And for me, the, the dread in the story is came off as more existential. Because you're just as much kind of in the dark, maybe, as the characters. And I think that's kind of a neat detail of it. I, I personally enjoyed it. I, it's, not, it's not one that got me, like, thinking really deeply on it. But almost more contemplating what could be going on. And there's just, like, maybe two or three different things that could be happening. And I'll just throw them out there for fun as we go. But um, it was a pleasant read. And, uh, again, could you could read a lot into it. It's mm-hmm. almost the... Uh, to, to quote all the people from my English classes growing up, it's that f- fucking Hemingway iceberg effect. <laughs> yeah, I know that the hills that look like white elephants has something to do with the fucking abortion. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> we get it, English professors everywhere. Yeah, but this one, the interesting thing with this one is there's multiple themes you can take away from it. Mm-hmm. And the themes that come out of this are quite different from one another. It's not just like, oh, this is one allegory. Oh, this means one thing. Unlike hills, like white elephants, there that that's just one thing. And we pretty get- much, I mean, some people argue, no, well, it's actually this. I go, no, are you kidding me? Yeah, there's there's it, there's no doubt about it. With this one, I, that I like this more only because you could 
take away a lot of different things from it. You want to you want to hear my 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 goofy theory about what's happening? Sure. Okay. So you could read a lot of really sinister things into this, like oh, this is all conspiracy. Something weird is going on where the townsfolk are trying to set the Allisons up for something horrible to happen, cutting brake lines, eventually cutting phone lines, leaving them stranded. Uh, or maybe the halls are doing it because they're up in that house. You know what I think? I think there is a conspiracy, and the conspiracy is just to make the old people leave them alone. If they don't have their car, they won't come into town and bother us. Ah, if we don't have their phone, they can't call us and bug us for stuff. <laughs> and they... <laughs> And the takeaway is just that the this might be dooming the old the the couple because now they think something a lot worse is happening and they can't they're so old <laughs> they really play up the we're old angle <laughs> so it, I I like the idea that I'm not saying this is hype this is I just want to get the goofy one that it could be out of the way just because of whether or not you take this seriously or not I'm not taking this remotely seriously it's just like ah they bother us just. Get rid of the things that make them keep bothering us, and that's fine. Okay, we can keep doing our thing now. That's why no one stays past Labor Day. I, I'm wondering if I'm the only one who got this. I thought what I pulled away the most from it after the second reading was that this is about old age and disability. I had a similar thought, but in in a different way. It's more My thought is more... So there's a point when I think you get so old that people tend to almost ignore or almost infantilize i've i've noticed as sad as this sounds there's a point where when um when someone becomes so old it's almost like it can be seen as a burden i actually you know what this reminds me of hmm? remember that one play we saw where it showed like life it was a from uh forces of production oh yeah the the darkness yes and basically, this uh, woman is now in her 90s, nearing death, and he, uh, her, like, grandchild or grandson or whatever is, like, saying, yes, grandma, whatever, it's, hmm. It almost comes across as that sort of feeling or it, the the idea that, oh, well, y- we, we don't need to cater to you anymore, so... Mm-hmm. there's that thought it's like going back yeah really with the infantilization angle it definitely felt like it's like you have to be like now it's okay because you don't know what you're talking about because they don't mm-hmm. treat you like an adult anymore mm-hmm. i didn't get too much of that like i get what you're saying there but i think we're, we're on a similar thread of just the mm-hmm. when there yeah there is a certain point where the elderly are kind of disregarded. Mm-hmm. It resonated with me more coming from like a disability aspect just because it had been on my mind more recently. But like when you become elderly at some point, you also are now disabled because you can't function the way you used to. And yes. the way like, especially in the US, we don't have systems in place to continue taking care of our elderly. So I was seeing a reflection of that in the story of like, okay, well now you're disabled, but your needs aren't a priority to us. We don't want to, it's not profitable to make the delivery just out to you. So we're not going to do deliveries, you know? Oh, interesting. Okay. That's where I thought the story was more interesting, not so much from like a horror perspective of like, or a paranoia of like, oh, is the people in town like conspiring against us? Did someone tamper with the car and the phone lines? For me, it was a reflection of just like, we're we're not equipped to handle, we're not equipped and we're not mentally, society doesn't care, mm-hmm. make things accessible for the elderly, for the disabled, 
um and just like they're left abandoned and alone like i just i just this elderly couple when they're like i guess when the, when the when the wife was like are we supposed to do something and the the husband's like i think we just wait and i'm like oh yeah you just you just wait to die cuz no oh. one fucking cares about you anymore and even like the family the letter we're like at the first when they open the letter, they're like, "Oh, we recognize our son's handwriting. We could, oh, we could tell right away it's just a letter from our son." And at the end, they're like suspecting, like, "Well, something feels off." The thing that feels off is that their son is like, "Oh yeah, stay, stay in the country. Don't you need to? You don't need to hurry to the city where then we have to, you know, deal with you. You know, <laughs> yeah. There, it's you know, send the send the grandparents to the to the retirement home. You know, it was. I think it was that where it's mm-hmm. like, yes, okay, it's still a loving letter from." their son but it it has that tone yes and that was foreign because maybe this couple is is now realizing oh we're being disregarded that's that's where the story became interesting to me in in the second reading because i think most people when they first read it the paranoia uh, part of it is the surface level Mm -hmm. that's the surface level of it but it was the son's letter that made me think more like well wait because I think another thing, um, and I saw some of our um, listeners uh, in our Discord actually discussing, was the whole idea of country versus city. And that d- is apparent in the right. story. Like that's that's really, that's that's almost the more heavy-handed metaphor of the bunch. Because it is that thing where you've got, these people are, you know, the Allisons are almost infantilizing and, and, you know, talking down to the people here. Like, oh, look at these people and their simple lives. And yet they're just be they're being catered to. It's only when they kind of, and kind of leaning into the theme you're talking about here, say, it's only when they stay past Labor Day that they're no longer useful to the town. Once the summer is over, what's the point? What's the point in serving the summer people? Because they're only there for a summer. Once they go back to the city, they're someone else's problem. Mm-hmm. They're not, it's not profitable anymore. And I was half joking, you know, I was joking when I said the thing about, you know, oh, they just did all this. They, this was like, heavy anything where they just did all the sabotage because they just wanted to be left alone but in a weird way that kind of leans into the theme too we don't want to deal with these people the whole thing with with the way the allisons treat the the country folk and then realizing that past labor day they're not going to have those same conveniences Mm -hmm. that you know says a lot about that attitude and we could go into that the more heavy-handed metaphor but I'm kind of enjoying leaning into what Sade's talking about here about that that aspect of it. Especially because as, as the story progresses and they get further in, it's only toward the end that like Mrs. Allison notices that Mr. Allison is having a harder time getting up the hill. Mm-hmm. Like they start kind of getting to notice their own frailties a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when you pointed out the thing about the letter from was it was it Jerry? Jerry, their son. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the linchpin for me. Yeah. Because if the letter was taken out completely, I think it would be more focused on, oh, city versus country, paranoia, etc. Are they really being tampered with? Or is it really just basically country people are just continuing to live their lives? They can't cater to people who only come here during the summer. This letter and the focus on this doesn't sound like our son leads more into a mm-hmm. into that theme of, getting older to the point where it's almost like you don't matter or not that you don't matter, but society doesn't seem right. to think that you matter anymore. Yeah. And you know, they're, they were leaning on all these conveniences that suddenly disappear. And what I think is so fascinating is for me, the mo- one of the most interesting things is when at the very end, when the storm is about to break and they're just sitting in the dark in the cottage with everything, they, they can't call anyone. 
The car's disabled. They're thinking something's going to happen, but they don't know what. And what are they doing? They're listening to the radio, which is the only piece of like technology they have at this point. And the radio is, is uh, picking up signals from the city. And I love when they talk about how it's almost like the sound is so from the radio is so prominent that it just it projects out of the cottage and bounces back off an unfeeling, uncaring countryside. Like they don't the countryside just sends it back to them saying we don't want it. It's also that same vibe of we don't want you. We don't want the city here, but we also don't want you here. And that was interesting to me. And that their time is they realize their time is running out as the radio's batteries are running out. I don't know why, that radio image in particular though, that's what stuck with me. As that storm is looming over, there's, it's the anticipation. The story ends with anticipation of something. And I like that it ends with that, with that unresolved. Like sometimes having an unresolved ending is a good way to end a story. And I think it, I like that we are left without a resolution. Same with our characters. I think another interesting thing, because you mentioned the radio, is a lot of the stuff that gets discussed on the radio is estimated rise in food prices, the newest marriage in Hollywood. It's things that really don't matter to them anymore, but it's showing that life is continuing. Without them? Yes. It isn't something I, I, I want to, I don't want to think about, but that is- This is of, an existentialist nightmare. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What's funny thing is Shirley Jackson wrote this in 1950. She was not that old when she passed away. She died when she was 48. So the fact that she's thinking about this stuff. Well, I mean, if like realistically, you say 50 years old is middle age, but the average lifespan for a person is like 75. We're, we're, we're at 35. You've, you've probably lived half of your lifetime already. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, that's true. Because uh, she, because I had to, I had to do the math. She was about 34, 35 when she wrote this. Mm. Okay, and keep in mind, this is the same woman who wrote Eleanor Vance, a character who once said, oh, I sleep on my left side because I was told it wears your heart out faster. Uh, so yeah, yeah, existentialism is kind of a thing in Shirley Jackson's yeah. wheelhouse, let's just say. I think this is more of a sad story. It's definitely more sad than, it, than horror or... There is kind of a horror to it, though. Yeah, but it's more like you know death is an edible kind of horror <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's lean into their paranoia completely literally are the townsfolk conspiring against them are they gonna die i don't know it doesn't matter i mean how are they gonna they said they're gonna stay an extra month but they don't have a working car and nobody else is around now so like yeah they're maybe. just gonna get starved and they're and their phones their phones don't work anymore phones not working they don't have power they don't have any more kerosene to boil their water. Yeah, yeah. No one's going to help them. In a, in a, a much more uh, unsophisticated novel, it would end with them seeing a gathering of people coming toward their house in the storm. <laughs> yeah, with like no explanation. Yeah. Yeah, but that would be a weaker story. Mm -hmm. The ambiguity makes it so much better. Personally, I, for my, my headcanon is it was just their paranoia. No one tampered with the car. Yep. Mm. It's not working because there's no gas in it. They're old and they didn't, you know, consider how much more gas they were going to need in the car. Mm -hmm. And also the light being on in the halls, that could be anyone does like some it could be just a neighbor checking up on the house or wasn't it the same because they say they saw the light on at the halls the night before yes uh mr allison says i believe my car was tampered with i knew when i saw the light down at the hall place last night hmm. but again i think that is a bit of paranoia 
how do we feel about so one of the the last thing that Mrs. Allison says is I feel better about the letter of Jerry's like if she was doubting the paranoia yeah how do we feel about that because this is happening when everything has gone dark they're just sitting there the storm is about to come and she said and it's listed as conversationally I feel better about the letter of Jerry's. And then then that's when Mr. Allison says, I knew when I saw the light down at the hall place last night. That's a, that's a very interesting, like, from one to the other. Because he's not responding to her. He's responding to their previous conversation. Yeah, I... Mm, to me, it sounds like he's still paranoid and is in kind of disbelief. Uh, about their situation and is looking for external causes. Mm-hmm. He he's not there because he's old and and unwanted now. But she's kind of acknowledged like, oh, we're old and this is kind of our reality now. She's making her peace. He's still, uh, you know, not not ready. Yeah, she she's finding the brighter side, and it's the fact that her son did send a letter, even if it sounds very, it's it sounds cold. Like the way that it's written is, oh, I'm so glad you stay there as long as you need to. I I get what you're saying. I I feel like I don't know if she's if that's like looking at the brighter side. I, maybe I'm just a fucking depressing person. <laughs> For me, it's like she's just like it is what it is. Mm-hmm. That's that's more how I'm reading it. Then again, it's it's Shirley Jackson. She's probably yeah. gonna go more the negative side than she yeah. is the positive <laughs> side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I feel like with the car breaking down was just kind of like a loss of mobility. Like you you get old, and then before you know it, like going up a hill is super difficult. Just bending over to pick up a box of kitty litter is fucking difficult or something. <laughs> you know, you, you realize before you know it, fuck, I can't do the things I used to. Well, yeah. shit, I'm old now. Yeah. One of the things I think I've noticed when, um, especially when I talk with uh, David's grandparents, uh, his grandpa is 90. Mm-hmm. and Damn. Yeah. My grandpa's like 75. <laughs> no, no, that's my situation. Like my my grandma's, uh, both my grandma's, uh, well, one's in her 80s and the other's in her 70s. And it's just, so when I'm hearing 90, I'm like, wow. That's yeah. It. And my grandpa is surprisingly healthy uh, for 90, but I think that's a, that's a common trait in on his side of the family, though. Like, they tend to live pretty robust, long lives. It means David has good genes. I lied. My grandpa's, like, 82. Oh. <laughs> I, had a, I had to pull up the picture. His, his, I have this picture. The only picture I have of my grandfather is he has this beautiful cake that, his, uh, that my aunt, who was younger than me, made for him. And it's just beautiful silver balloon letters or numbers to 79. He's sitting in front of me. He's the most grumpiest man. <laughs> Mexican man. Ranchero. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, sorry. No, it's all good. That's all <laughs> but, good. But I mean, you, you, you usually see it with like, a, and I, I, when I mean older, I mean 80 and older now. I mean, uh, this is, this takes place in 1950. So 60 at that time is 80 now. <laughs> let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, 80 and older. There, Yeah, you're, there is this, you, you can see it. They're, they move slower. They talk slower. When you're around them, you have to be more gen, like more genteel and. The sad part is, it still kind of shocked me when I went to your grandpa's 90th birthday. And I was just expecting, honestly, just a quiet family dinner. No, he he went all out and brought out the drinks. 
and made like a dirty joke and I'm just, <laughs> my jaws drop. I'm like, isn't he turning 90? What is, what? And, but, but it is that sort of, unfortunately that there is that societal idea that's like, well, when you're past a certain age, you can't do as much. Again, like, I know it happens, but it's the infantilizing thing. Like we were just talking about earlier. There's yeah. a common idea mm-hmm. that that's what happens. <laughs> Should we oh. take user questions? Yeah. No, user questions. Oh my God, I, ca- I completely forgot about listener questions. And Thank you. After. Listener questions. I know I said user questions, but I think that's because, uh, as is often the case, uh, username comments on this, but we'll see. Uh, actually, we might have already answered a few of these, but uh, looks like we have the usual suspects. Yes. We've got, actually got a lot of long comments. I think uh, I'll start with Bringer of Lighters. Thank you, Bringer. He Thanks, just had, he asked a simple question. Are they going to get murder or starved by the town? Maybe this is how the town deals with gentrification. (laughs) 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 Okay. Initially, like, like, at first reading, I was getting a sense of, like, y'all, this is, like, fucking white privilege of, like, expecting the country bumpkins to, like, just cater to them endlessly. They didn't, like, check ahead of time. Being like, yeah, so we're, they just on the fly decided, yes, we're going to stay longer. So they didn't check with anybody to be like, yeah, keep, keep servicing me. They just expected it and they don't know how to take care of themselves. Also, the other thing, okay, I'm just also like, I hate this country kind of like (laughs) thing because like. They, we don't have anything in place to take care of people with disabilities. And with, like, COVID, we're going to have way more people with disabilities and we're not prepared for it. And, like, on top of that, I'm just, I'm ready for everything to collapse. So, like, <laughs> learn to fucking garden for yourselves. Like, make your own fucking butter. Grow some potatoes in a laundry basket if all you, like, just, even if you live in an apartment, like, grow something for yourself. Like, Anyway, that's that was something else I was taking away from the story. It was like people don't know how to fucking survive on their own was another thing I took. Over. Yeah, to be fair, I I'd actually as I was reading it the first time, I was just like reading what the Allisons were saying and their thoughts about things as they were going places. I'm like, God, these are like capital W white people, you know? Well, like- the, I mean, the, 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 <laughs> there's this one sentence which is just like, Jesus. So she talks about Mr. Babcock, the grocer, and it says, he, uh, Mr. Babcock could model for a statue of Daniel Webster, but mentally, it was horrible to think into what old New England Yankee stock had degenerated. She said as much to Mr. Allison when she got into the car, and he said, it's generations of inbreeding, that and the bad land. They're staying in this place for a month. Why are you, you're bad talking, like, the people who are assisting you, are you serious? Yeah. You could read into it that it's a little bit of a comeuppance that these uppity white folks are uppity old white folks who are used to getting everything just delivered to them. Keep in mind, they're the same people who earlier in the story consider they were like, Oh, we're so proud of ourselves for being able to rough it for a month or so (laughs) it rough it in this house that has no, uh, like real running water and no electricity. And we have to use the, the back shed or the back house. Oh, you know, and then when push comes to shove, they can't survive. Yeah, there's that angle yeah. too. Anyway, what's Bringer saying? I think he's thinking. Um, he's he's thinking literally. He's thinking of it literally. Yeah. Like we offered that interpretation as well. Yeah, I I, I, I I offered the more goofy version. It's like they're not actually planning anything sinister for these old people, but they sabotaged everything so they would just leave them the fuck alone. <laughs> 
In a more literal sense, I, I just feel like they fucked up and were expecting too much because they're privi- privileged. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the town's responsible. They're like, nah, man, should have fucking checked with us. They're like, we're not... We're not here to cater to Check you. it, Ralph, before you wreck it, Ralph. <laughs> well, it's also that sort of, like, being on vacation. It's 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 the people who are like, you know, I had so much fun on this vacation, I'm just going to live here. And then realize, oh, it's not all always, like, someone catering to me all the time. Mm-hmm. It's there. There's that sort of thought process, too. Yep. Dan Urkelbot666, thank you, Dan, uh, gave a comment and a couple questions. I'll read the comment because it's very long. Uh, we also got a comment and questions from Fangsway, which is also a very long comment. So I'll start with Dan's. I find myself really liking Jackson's styles and ways of writing. I ought to look into more of her work. Please do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you haven't read The Haunting of Hill House, do it. If you're only going to read one thing from her, that's probably the one to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lottery is actually not a bad one, too. The lottery hits harder than this one does, I think, uh, in a different way. Because it's a very subtle build up, and then at the end, you're just like, Jesus! That's kind of the response you get. We might consider reading that, but there's not as much depth as you Yeah, know. in the future. I mean, I feel like that one's been analyzed to death, but you know. Yeah. Uh, I liked how this story had a lot going on thematically. Reading through it, I kept thinking of stuff like entitlement, distress, cultural divides, and acceptance of aging, impending of end of life stuff and death. Narratively, it was fun too. The interactions between the Allisons and the country folk were well done, and the intrigue towards the end about something more sinister happening was unsettling. The fingerprints on the son's letter and the sense that he hadn't written it, the dead phones in the sabotage car, the neighboring hall's lights remained on, though... They had supposedly gone to visit family. In some ways, I feel like the ending slightly undermines some of the interesting themes about being careful what you wish for and an over-reliance on others versus self-sufficiency. But also, I really love the tone of the end. Great story. Hear, hear. Uh, and then his questions, um, he said that he thinks that these were questions we'll probably ask, but um, he asked, do you think the letter was actually written by the son? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And just the mailman had some dirty fingers. <laughs> Gross. Do you think the Allisons are doomed? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no again, matter what interpretation of the story you take away, they're doomed. <laughs> yeah, unless, like, the grocer is kind of, like, goes to check on them in a few days, you know, and gives them a ride back to town. Like, I think they're doomed. I will say the one thing, people say, like, oh, this is an ambiguous ending. No, there's no ambiguity here. They're doomed. They're going to die in some way, or they're not going to survive well. This is an ending. Yeah. The sum- summer summer is over for these people, whether they like it or not. Yo, that's kind of fucked up because, like, summer, you could take summer as, like, being, like, you uh-huh. know, the fucking prime of your life and you go into fall. Uh huh. And that's decay, you age, uh-huh. and then oh. winter is death. Uh-huh. Like, they're not summer people anymore because they're dying. Yep. Oh, oh that's... Ah! You, you see what I did there? <laughs> I figured it out. It's so clever. So I, th- clever. I wonder if... Jer- I, I, I wouldn't doubt Shirley Jackson actually thought of that, too, mm-hmm, come to mm-hmm, think about mm-hmm. it. It's all it's all in the title. Uh, will they perhaps be transformed into country people for staying too long? Uh, no, they're no. They're, they're, they're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the one line where the one woman in the store asked about the price of the dresses? Why is this one one thirty nine and the other one only eighty nine cents? I feel like there's some thematic 
meaning to glean from that, but I can't quite put a finger on it. Capitalism is weird. That's what I take away from it. Capitalism is weird and stupid. There. <laughs> Capitalism sucks, um, but we're not going to get into that because that's a whole other discussion. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think that was anything like significant to the story. I think that was just maybe like something to kind of flesh out the world a bit of more of just like she hears it in passing we're like yeah okay these younger ladies are gonna fuss over this but to her it's not that important yeah okay so there's a point where mrs allison gives one of the grocers a five dollar bill just for groceries and then these women are debating over two dresses that are like much cheaper than that. And I think it's that whole idea of separation between country and city, the whole rich versus poor sort of thing. Uh, and then Feng Sui gave his uh, comments as well. So here's what he says. I don't really think anything sinister was intended. I think it was city folk changing plans in a way that no one else could have accounted for. In that time period out in the country, places will only order the goods they think they will need almost seasonally. So of course no one would have either expect them to have stayed nor take into account the possibility of it happening also there's this divide between how city and country folks take slash handle situations the country folks try to impress on them that they should leave without actually saying anything because to do so would be rude on their part while the yallisons are used to people being more blunt straightforward or downright rude coming from the city they don't want to press the issue because country folk don't think like city folk you can't press on them to get what you want and and all for example, we can't be rude and demand the stuff we need because it won't work that way in the country. So what you end up with is a couple of old people potentially dying in a storm in the cabin because no one would either just say, hey, we can't help you. No one can. Everyone only has exactly what they need for the people who live here. You were supposed to go home like you have every year. And because they just hemmed and hawed instead of saying it, they look like they're up to something in the eyes of the city person who only comes out for the summer. Phone line probably got disconnected by an operator who was under the impression that they would be gone and as for the car, shit happens. In short, it's a tragedy disguised as a horror. It's not rude to be blunt and ask questions. I, th I think bluntness with tact is important, but I like that. I do like that this is addressing that sort of like, I suppose you could call it a fallacy of like, these people aren't going to respond to this and that. And there were a lot of assumptions made. No, that is definitely a thing. I think it's called like guest guest culture or something. Something guess something, where people have a way of speaking. Where if they want something from you, they're they're not gonna outright ask. Like, I'm hanging out in your kitchen. Thing is up on a high shelf. I can't get it. I don't want to be rude and be like, hey, can you get me this? Because now I've put you in a situation where you like, no, you can see to say yes or no, and you say no, it's rude. So I'm gonna say like, oh. That thing is too high for me to reach. And then I'm expecting you to offer, oh, well, let me get that for you. Some people, they just, that is how they communicate. That is how they express needs. Mm -hmm. um, that That is a legit thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that that could play into it where these, all the, the, the country people were like, oh, well, no one stays past Labor Day. Nudge, nudge, you know. <laughs> And then his questions include, what's up with the halls? What incidents, if you, uh, if any, do you think are actually suspicious or sinister? 
Are people with the surname Hall inherently evil? Asking for a friend. Wink, wink. I had to ask him, I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, my last name is Hall. And <laughs> You know, I subconsciously made this joke because we started making jokes about like, you know, everybody in the comments are be like, well, I guess Arsenio is fine. And so, and you, you were like, and so is Anthony Michael. Yeah. And I said, and so is a band called Tally. And then you know what hit me? What? Uh, the, one of the plot points in this is the Hall's lights being on, right? In their house. Yeah. Tally Hall has a song called Turn the Lights Off. <laughs> Wait, oh, that's ha- funny. How old is that? Is that an older song or? Oh, no, no, no. It's I, I, I'm just I'm literally I'm just making I think a, that's just coincidence. Oh. Yeah, it's just coincidence. I, I should have been like Tally Hall. Uh, t- <laughs> look over the house. <laughs> Turn the lights off. by Tally Hall starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I thought I'm like, oh, did she get that from somewhere? Sorry. My, my... No, no, no. But then again, it's not like the people in the band don't know horror. I mean, they, the lead singer eventually went on to make a actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> oh, that's right. I, I love that so much. I forgot about that. <laughs> I need to listen to that right now. <laughs> I, I don't think there was anything sinister uh, with the halls or with anything else that happened. I think it was just uh, poor planning and uh, uh, too many expectations. And, yes. And it could be a miscommunication, too. I mean, he yeah, said, oh, oh, well, what, what I mean is, well, like, with the halls, like, they said, well, the halls have already left. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they, maybe they stayed for a little bit. Who knows? People have lives. And sometimes they say, oh, yeah, we're going to be leaving today. And then mm-hmm. end up staying a little later than expected because of some certain reason. Who knows? I agree with you, though. I don't think anything sinister was intended. Any final thoughts? I think, um... The one, the the main thing that we we got from this is how existentialist this is. It's again, it's strange. You read it the first time, and you're just like, okay, it's slightly creepy. But then when you read it a second time, there you get so much more details. And then when you pay attention to things, you start to realize, oh, this might be more than what meets the eye. You could definitely take the story a couple different ways. It's it's really up to the reader to interpret how they think it's most fascinating. This is a very English class kind of story. <laughs> yeah. Like this is a very, this is like something they would, I would read in like a creative writing workshop as like an example of now here's an example in writing, how to uh, put more into a story for subtext we're going to talk about subtext for this story. I would like it if people talked about subtext with this story more. This is a good one for that. For themes and ideas that aren't inherently just told to you, but like woven into it. You know what? If any English professors are out there, read this story. Have your students read this story instead of Hills Like White Elephants. I am so sick of that story. We get it. We get it, professors. Leave us alone. Cause I think, but because I think the story actually does a good job with subtext. Also, it's a good opportunity to get more uh, female writers into the curriculum instead yeah. of just always talking about Hemingway or Melville. Get Jackson in there instead. <laughs> she kicks ass. Her writing kicks ass. This is a good story. I will defend this story. <laughs> writers take notes. This is a great way. The- this is a good op- uh, example of how to work a subtle existentialist dread into a fi- into a seemingly unassuming piece. Shirley Jackson is a mas- master of this. 
It's probably why Hill House is so good. Actually, that is why Hill House is so good. Because even if, even though it is inherently a haunted house story, it's all the little details woven in that make it so much more sinister. Because you never actually see a fucking ghost. Not once. Well, maybe that image of the family you see in the woods at one point, but the rest of the time Spoiler, you don't see Spoiler, no ghosts. <laughs> it was no ghosts. They were all just on fumes from like the asbestos in the walls or something. I don't know. I apologize for this spoiler that David has provided for It's us. not much of a spoiler. That whole scene's confusing. You can go listen to that episode. We already did the book club on it. Shit. Or go read it. Yeah, go read it. Just go read it. Just go read it. Actually, yeah, don't listen to the episode. Go read it and then listen to the episode. We have a lot of good backlog. In fact, we're slowly getting those episodes up on YouTube. I don't get to plug this much, but if you want to have a chance to uh, you know, support the show in a different way, you can catch up on a few of them as we upload them, an, an archived episode every two weeks on our YouTube channel, Creative Horror. I guess I'll start with plugs before I reveal our their, our next story we're going to read. Ooh, yes. If you like what you hear, listen to our other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network. We have Undercooked Analysis, Midnight Marinara, and our new uh, podcast, uh, The Jameson Tapes, which comes out the day after this one. Oh, snap. That's right. Uh, I'm thinking of pushing the release date back a few days after. I don't know what do you guys think. Cause it's just like, I feel like we're like right on darkly lit's ass every time <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you're basically releasing like depending on the timing you're getting saturday the 14th instead of friday the 13th and saturday the 14th was a weird movie anyway <laughs> i don't know it's up to you maybe put it out on the 15th instead we'll see we'll see i gotta say just uh for the sake of darkly lit like alan and abysme are killing it there but sade's editing is like top notch oh thank for the you show thank too. you thank you oh, absolutely I the effort i could definitely hear the effort put into it and it sounds great all right the next book we're going to be reading is a novella um a more recent one i'm excited for it sorry sorry go on <laughs> called The Monster of Elland Haven by Jennifer Giesbrek. We will have a link uh, to the Goodreads summary of it um, in the show notes, so check that out. Also, uh, from what I read, it's an LGBTQ one, and since... Perfect for Pride Month! Almost like we planned it! (laughs) (laughs) We didn't. (laughs) So, um... (laughs) If, you, if you're going to do something for Pride Month, read this book along with us. I think David's loopiness is like transferred over to me. Be gay, do crime. <laughs> Be crime, do gay. <laughs> Just as long as you don't stay after Labor Day. Ayo, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Before we go too far, though, I have a, I have also have a pitch. Okay. The other thing I want to mention is we are actually debating reading our first nonfiction book on this podcast, but we want to know if you would be interested in hearing us read a nonfiction. Now, I'm not saying what it is yet, but it is adjacent enough to the subject matter of our show that I think it would be prudent to uh, ask you as an audience, do you think that would work? Should I say what the book is we're thinking of reading? Sure. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a good idea. All right, because this is one I've read before, but this is one I'm excited about. Uh, we were debating reading The Devil in the White City, which is a um, pseudo-biographical story of both the Chicago World's Fair of 1893 and the infamous serial killer H.H. H. Holmes, 
widely considered America's first serial killer, although let's be real, some people will also say it's a Lavinia Fisher. But I thought it would be a fun one. But we want to know if that is interesting, interesting to you. So please let us know. And if you guys are interested in us reading nonfiction or you have any suggestions for nonfiction novels you would like us to read or actually just any novels you would like us to read, please email us at, at darklylitpodcast at gmail.com or uh, send us a message on Twitter at darklylitpod. Beautiful. My apologies about the whole Memorial Day, Labor Day mix-up, but we are, it's now after Memorial Day here now starting into summer well we might as well enjoy it while we can because in no time at all it'll be gone and summer will be gone we'll be left alone no eggs no butter no hope hey wait a minute the halls left their lights on again i can see it from here hey hey halls turn the lights off <laughs> Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>